0: In the deepest, darkest parts of the earth, there lie many secrets. Disguised by rock and soil, these obscure mysteries are held behind thousands of hidden entryways and undiscovered passages. Since the beginning of recorded history, people have told stories of seeing unexplained things in the depths of our world, things that don't seem to make any sense, things that have caused many people to believe that after a certain depth the earth may actually be hollow. As this theory may seem improbable to many, the truth is that we simply don't know what lies beneath. Some of the most well-known caves throughout the world have yet to be thoroughly explored, and these are caves that we've known about for hundreds of years. If we don't fully understand the high strangeness and unexplained phenomena that takes place within our forests, backyards, or even our very homes, how can we even begin to pretend to understand what dwells in the darkest caverns of our planet's depths. The first time it happened, I was sleeping and woke up because I felt a hand on my leg and I realized that I couldn't move.
1: And he'd come across this object on the ground, which was the shape of a flying saucer. So he jumped out of his pickup and went down there and there was four beings laying on the ground. When I raised my head back up, I was turning in my head, and out of my peripheral vision, I seen something hop to a tree. And it was tall, about seven, eight foot tall, and it was black, real hairy, like a gorilla.
0: Before we start today's show, I'd like to say a huge thank you to our current patrons. Courtney, Cassandra, and Robin. Your support is greatly appreciated. The surface area of Earth is 196.9 million square miles. While this number is hard to fathom, if we put it into context a little, the state of Texas is 268,597 square miles. And if we break it down even further, the state of Rhode Island is only 1,212 square miles. The point being that the surface of Earth alone is absolutely massive, and that's just the surface. While humans in general like to believe that we've explored the majority of the surface, meaning dry land, the actual percentage of how much surface area we've set foot on is hard to come by. Many people believe that we've explored 75% or more of Earth's dry land, but when you dig a little deeper, no pun intended, you find that in most cases, these are simply educated guesses and not hard facts. It also doesn't help that different organizations have different definitions of what the term explored really means. Some quantify it as a total area that has been physically examined by humans, or others would say that if satellite imagery has taken pictures of it at any zoomable level, that that counts as being discovered, and so on and so forth. When we begin to look beneath the surface of what we can see, things become even more complicated, and a lot more bizarre. Below the surface, Earth is comprised of about 260 billion cubic miles, or 1 trillion cubic kilometers. That is an unbelievable amount of volume that we know very little about. Sure, science has been able to confirm that the Earth consists of many layers, ranging from the oceanic crust down to the inner core. But while scientists believe that they know what each of these layers consist of, there is much more that we don't know about the world beneath our feet. It would seem as though the easiest way to explore the underbelly of our world would be to get online and search for the closest cave in the vicinity of where we live. Throughout the world, caves are a normal part of nature, and odds are that no matter where you call home, there is most likely some form of a cave system in your region. But a word of warning before you decide to venture into the unknown. Some of the strangest and most unsettling paranormal encounters have taken place inside of caves, mines, and in some cases, even sewers. Some accounts that are so bizarre, it could make you question your own reality. One example of this took place on November 12th of 1949, when strange sightings began to occur around the University of South Carolina. Dating back to 1801, The university consists of 359 acres, but below the bustling campus lays three service tunnels. During the evening of November 12, 1949, a student by the name of Christopher Nichols, along with a friend, were outside of the Long Street Theater. Both Nichols and his friend saw what they described as a strange-looking man dressed in silver. As they watched, the odd being crossed the road, opened a manhole cover, and proceeded to crawl down inside. Nichols eventually shared his encounter with the local paper, and referred to the creature as the Sewer Man. While their encounter is strange, it's reminiscent of a bizarre entity that many people believe has inhabited the tunnels for years, an entity that most refer to as Third Eye Man. In April of 1950, a university police officer claimed to have had a frightening encounter with a similar creature. As he was patrolling in the vicinity of Longstreet Theatre, he came across a pile of what looked like the bloody remains of dead chickens that had been mutilated by some kind of animal. As the officer surveyed the scene with his flashlight, he noticed something out of the corner of his eye. Hunched over in the shadows, crouched a humanoid figure. As he turned his light on the creature, he could clearly see that it was wearing what appeared to be a silver jumpsuit. As the thing turned to face him, he could see that its face was disfigured, And strangest of all, it had a third eye in the center of its forehead. As the officer locked eyes with this monster, it let out a disgusted growl, and then fled into the dark tunnels below. This encounter only strengthened people's beliefs that something sinister was in fact living beneath their very feet. Sightings of the creature continued throughout the 60s and 70s, and even escalated when a group of fraternity members witnessed a similar creature that was holding a lead pipe. As the group stared at the creature in disbelief, it suddenly lurched toward them, causing them to flee in terror. After escaping their attacker, the witnesses claimed that they believed that the creature was trying to kill them. Encounters continued, and authorities became concerned that a possible psychopath may be living in the tunnels. Eventually, the authorities decided that a thorough search of the tunnels was needed in order to ensure the safety of the students. An extensive search of the tunnels was completed but when all was said and done, no signs of humans or creatures alike could be found. To quell the mounting fear of the public, the school decided to seal a majority of the entrances to the tunnels. However, encounters with the terrifying creature persist to this very day. Another unsettling account of a strange creature being seen in a tunnel occurred in Toronto, Canada in August of 1978. A 51-year-old man named Ernest had been out searching the neighborhood for a missing kitten from a litter that he had been raising. As he was searching the alleys near his home, he came across a tunnel entrance and decided to go get a flashlight and investigate, thinking that perhaps the lost kitten had maybe taken refuge inside. Ernest retrieved his flashlight and returned to the opening of the tunnel. He slowly crept into the murky darkness, and as he made his way approximately ten feet into the tunnel, he spotted something sitting in the darkness. Ernest said that as he brought his flashlight up, he saw what looked like a three-foot-tall monkey that was covered in gray fur. He said that the creature was long and thin, and that its mouth was filled with large teeth. Ernest said that its slanted eyes were set deep in its head, and seemed to glow a bright orange. If this isn't terrifying enough, the creature then decided to speak. This is what Ernest told authorities. "'I saw a living nightmare.' that I'll never forget. It said, go away, go away, in a hissing voice. Then it took off down a long tunnel off to the side. I got out of there as fast as I could. I was shaking with fear." Ernest reluctantly shared his experience with the Toronto Sun newspaper after being encouraged to do so by a friend. However, he never gave his last name out of fear that he would be ridiculed In March of 1979, staff members from the Toronto Sun even went as far as to accompany Ernest to the location of his sighting, and they found that there was actually the entrance to a cave at the end of a passageway between two houses, which led into a narrow tunnel that dropped off into the unseen sewer system down below. When they investigated the tunnel, they did not see any strange creature, but they did find a carcass of a cat that had been half-buried in the ground when sewer officials were questioned about what Ernest had perhaps seen. An employee gave this rather ominous statement. People who work on the surface just don't know what it's like down there. It's a whole different world. Who would have thought a few years ago that people would live in sewers? And yet that's what they found in New York a few years back. I don't know what Ernest saw that day down there. I'll tell you one thing, though. If we could get in there, I sure as hell wouldn't want to go down alone. Our next story took place on July 14th, 1974, when a company called News Extra released an article that told a very bizarre story of a mining inspector by the name of Glenn E. Barger. The story was brought to the attention of News Extra by Glenn Barger's son, Frank, after his father confided in him after decades of keeping it to himself. In the article Mr. Barger claims that in 1944 he was called to the site of a mine collapse in Dixonville, Pennsylvania. Also called to the scene to help Glenn Barger was another inspector by the name of Ted Walters. Barger's and Walters' job as inspectors was to investigate what caused the collapse and to also aid in the recovery of the miners that had gone missing during the collapse. Upon arrival, the two inspectors examined the scene and eventually proceeded into the area where the mine had caved in. Once inside, both men discovered the bodies of most of the missing miners. According to the report, the bodies displayed signs of being mauled and mutilated by some type of animal. Initial impressions seemed to indicate that the predatory wounds inflicted on the miners' bodies, which included large claw marks, were the cause of death. As the inspectors stumbled through the miners' remains, Glenn Barger said, that man wasn't killed by any cave-in. He must have been killed by some sort of animal. That was obvious. Every corpse that they found appeared to have met the same fate. None of the bodies displayed signs of trauma caused by a collapse, but instead showed unusual proof of a vicious predatory animal, which seemed to be the overwhelming cause of death. As they continued to inspect the horrifying scene, all at once they felt the walls begin to shake, a second cave-in seemed inevitable. The two men braced themselves as the mine crumbled around them, ultimately sealing them in with the deceased miners. As they came to their senses, both men realized that they were uninjured, but now had no means of escape. The only thing they could do is wait for more help to arrive. As they sat in the darkness, Berger believes that he fell asleep at some point, only to wake several minutes later to what he described as a shadowy, humanoid beast looming over him," Barger said. "...I fell asleep for a time. It wasn't long. Suddenly, I felt a hot breath on my face. That thing wasn't of this world. We sat silently, reflecting on our fate. I swear, I expected some slimy thing to drag the both of us away." Barger would later speculate that whatever the creature was, he believed, It was what had caused the cave-ins. Apparently, after what seemed like hours, the creature or creatures eventually crept back into the recesses of the mine, leaving the two men frightened and confused, yet unharmed. The men then waited a few more hours until a rescue team was able to extract them from their nightmarish experience. As unbelievable as this story may seem, there are aspects of it that ring true, and some that don't. I was unable to substantiate some of the major details of it, but is this because the encounter was fabricated, or is it due to some type of cover-up? Indeed, if there really are man-eating creatures lurking throughout mines and cave systems throughout the world, it would make sense that authorities would want to keep it under wraps. It also begs the question, what would Glenn Barger's son Frank have to gain by making up such a story? To my knowledge, the article written by News Extra was the first and last official report of Barger's experience. So what do you think? Our next story is also one that defies explanation, but it's because of this that I wanted to include it in today's show. Since this story became public knowledge, the details of it have not changed, which is good, but it's also slightly frustrating, because the encounter leaves us with more questions than answers. That being said, it's one of the strangest reports of a cave dwelling creature that I've ever heard, and it takes place near one of the oldest known human settlements in the world, Kandahar, Afghanistan. Located along the central, southern, and western trade routes of Asia, Kandahar is known for sheep, wool, cotton, silk, felt, food grains, fresh and dried fruit, and tobacco. Just outside the city, Lie a menagerie of mountain peaks that are both beautiful and treacherous. It was in this mountainous region, sometime back in 2002, that a team of United States Special Forces were flown in by helicopter and dropped in a remote location in order to search out and recover a high value target. After being dropped into the mountains, the team was scheduled to check in at various intervals. But as the hours passed, the men failed to contact the base regarding their progress. In fact, The team missed several of their scheduled check-ins, and after multiple attempts to contact them had been made, their commanding officers concluded that something had indeed happened to the group. The decision was made to drop another highly trained group of special forces into the same location in order to locate the missing troops. Once inserted, the second patrol scoured the area where the first troop had gone missing. The team made their way along the mountainside until they came to what looked like an old goat path. As they continued along the winding trail, they eventually found themselves coming to what seemed to be a ledge that overlooked the desert floor far below. As the men approached the area, they began to notice familiar pieces of equipment strewn about. Broken weapons, items of gear, and even what appeared to be the destroyed remains of a military radio littered the sandy ground. But this was not the worst of it. While inspecting the destroyed equipment, They also discovered bones, and what looked like flesh, amongst the debris. The men were confused and horrified as they stood looking at what they believed were the remains of their fallen comrades who came before them. Who or what could have done this? As they stood there in shock, they heard movement coming from an area just beyond a ledge that was directly above them. It was then that they realized that there was a large cave opening that sat back a ways from where they stood. Looking toward the cave entrance, their worst nightmares were realized as a 13 foot humanoid appeared from inside the massive cavern. The men couldn't move, let alone react, as they stared at this horrifying and unbelievable sight, clutching their weapons as their minds tried to make sense of the monster that stood before them. It resembled a massive man, but on a scale that didn't make any sense. It had long fiery red hair and a beard and it was draped in what looked like animal skins. In its hand it held a large pike, which it grasped with six fingers. Before the men could comprehend what they were looking at, the giant sprinted toward them, continuing to scream in a bellowing and indiscernible language. It moved with such speed that the team didn't have time to react. One of the soldiers, who the team referred to as Dan, lifted his rifle and began firing into the body of the huge beast, Hearing the gunfire, snapped the rest of the team back into the fight and the entire patrol began firing on the creature. The giant's gaze was fixed on Dan as it leaped toward him and with a single motion impaled Dan with the end of the pike. Still holding Dan in the air with one hand, it began to charge the others. It seemed as though no amount of ammunition would be able to take the giant down, until one of the men focused his fire on its face. This seemed to slightly stagger the man and all at once the team turned their sights to the creature's head. According to the men, this strategy proved to work, and in no time brought the giant down, but not before the majority of the creature's face had been destroyed. The men rushed to Dan's side, but there was little they could do for him. Still skewered by the pike, Dan's body quickly became lifeless, as the team stood over their fallen brother, feeling helpless and confused over what had just happened. The men radioed back to base, and they described what they had encountered, and what had happened to Dan. They were told that a helicopter was being dispatched to their location, and for the time being, they should hold tight. As the men waited to be picked up, they stared in amazement at the monster that lay before them. They could now see that it not only had six fingers on each hand, but six toes on each foot as well. The men also said that the creature smelled absolutely terrible. As the chopper arrived, they were instructed to load the giant into a large cargo net beneath the helicopter. After it was removed, the men reportedly never saw the giant again, but rumors of where it had been taken began to circulate throughout the base. In the days that followed, other members of the United States military would claim to have come in contact with the body. In some cases, soldiers claimed to have seen it as it was being moved from one location to another. But one of the most interesting reports comes from a pilot that claims he had the privilege of picking up some very special cargo. It turned out to be an experience that he would never forget.
1: The airbase that we were using, Um, it's basically built in a bowl in the mountains, where you have to stay high right up in the last minute, and then you basically come screaming back down to to land. Uh, The area to the side of it was called the Valley of Death, because during uh, the Soviet days with the Uh, Mujahideen, they had fired their rockets into a lot of the uh, helicopters so you could see all kinds of uh, wrecks and stuff in the valley below. Which, for the most part, I didn't pay attention to because I was a little busy getting the airplane on the ground safely. Uh, We landed and uh, basically was told to taxi to the very end of the tarmac. And, And like I said, it was middle of the day, very hot. I remember that. We opened the doors and unloaded the equipment that we had brought in. Uh, And then we were met at the aircraft by uh, what we later on called the babysitters. But uh, they kind of introduced themselves and said, hey, no cameras, Uh, nobody's taking pictures here. We're uh, moving some high value stuff. Uh, When the load got there, uh, we're very, of course, curious to see what it was, because that's just the way you are when you're told that you're not allowed to have uh, a camera. Uh, They say this thing had been dead for maybe a day or two, uh, but it stunk. And when I say stunk, I've smelled dead things before, but this had a more of a, I want to say a musky stink, kind of a, not really a decay decay, but more of a... If somebody hadn't taken a shower in like 10 years, type of a musty, uh, musky stink is all I can tell you. And it was basically a dead guy. And this guy was extremely large. When I say large, uh, our pallets are basically, if I remember correctly, about nine by 12 feet or so. This guy was laying in a fetal position on the pallet, uh, so he and he filled the pallet. Uh, we estimated his size at approximately 12 to 10 feet tall. Uh, I did see his skin color. I was expecting somebody of more Arabic descent, uh, being an Afghanistan and all. I know he was dead, but he was very pale, very white. Another thing that uh, us and the rest of the crew did was we took our feet. We, he was in a field of position, so you could take your feet and put it. Kind of, you could see where his feet were there, and they were they were wrapped up. He did not have shoes on, but he had like uh, looked like he was wrapping them in some kind of a canvas type stuff. But we were sticking our feet up next to his feet, and his feet were extremely big. We know that the the standard weight on one of those pallets is uh, about 1,500 pounds, and I do remember that the loadmaster did the weights, and it was around 1,100 pound guy. The pallet sits on Dunnage, you know what Dunnage is? It's uh, basically like railroad ties so that you can get a forklift underneath it and pick it up. So it was on Dunnage, and basic Dunnage is like maybe a four by four. And then the pallet is, say, yay thick. It's actually aluminum and balsa wood. And uh, this guy, I mean, laying down was very, very, Wide. I mean, and he was, like I said, he's in a fetal position, and you go up and just, you hit it, and of course he's under a tarp and all that, I understand that, but he was one dense, he was a dense guy. Uh, We questioned the babysitters of, hey, where'd you get this guy, and uh, some of the Army guys there with him uh, relayed to us that uh, this guy had, I guess... Been living up in the mountains uh, next to a village where the villagers basically treated him like a god. I did infer that they were uh, making sacrifices to this guy because they said he was, they found bones of people. The giant supposedly, like I said, I was not there, supposedly killed the first team that they came across. He was extremely big and fast and agile for a guy that size. They sent up another team and When the second team went in to get him, supposedly he had already started to basically eat on the team that that had been killed the first time. They then grabbed a helicopter and the helicopter brought him down where we picked him up. After we loaded the giant, it was just a standard, uh, standard mission. Back we took him all the way back to Al uh, Udeid in Qatar, where he was transloaded onto a another airplane. I believe it was a C-17. Uh, I was done with my mission. Then I got away from it. I was done. I did ask some questions later of, you know, where it might have gone. And as the grapevine goes, it was probably taken back to the United States. And the words I heard were right, Pat. But again, I don't know. Several years after my uh, deployments to Afghanistan, something very strange happened to me um, that is somewhat related to this. I was uh, basically TDY to Kirtland Air Force Base, which is out in Albuquerque. Uh, I was out with my JAG at the time, and there was a uh, Navajo Native American uh, sitting basically in the restaurant that we're in. It was also a bar. It was actually Kelly's, uh, Kelly's Brew Pub. And uh, this Native American guy, out of nowhere, he was talking to us, very friendly guy. And out of nowhere, he s- asked me if I knew what a Native American sing was. And um, no, I didn't at the time. I do now because I looked it up. But uh, he says, I-, I have to sing for you. And he put his hand on me and started a Native American prayer, if you will. And I thought, wow, this is very strange. Uh, but it was cool as well. My, my uh, Jag that I was with actually took out her, uh, her Apple Uh, iPhone and started to film it and he stopped and said, no, no, not on film, not on film and she put it away and he sang the prayer and here's where it gets very strange. He started talking about, did I know that there were giants out in the Sandia Mountains and he said, they're out there in the mountains still and the earth had swallowed them up and he goes, watch out. He says someday they're going to come back, they're going to come back. I then uh, took him aside and said, hey, as a matter of fact, I've seen these things, they're real, at least I think I've seen these things. Uh, and I basically conveyed to him the story. He just took it in stride and said, yes, they're real. They're absolutely real. And he said something like, if I remember correctly, like the earth had swallowed them up, but soon the earth will spit them back out. And soon, he said, soon, they're coming back.
0: So is the body of a 13-foot giant being held at Wright-Patterson Air Force Base in Greene County, Ohio? As I said before, This story is so extraordinary that it makes me truly question its validity. That being said, when you're discussing the subject of the paranormal, there really is no defining line between what is possible or impossible. I understand the biblical relevance of giants, and I know that throughout history, even Native Americans have told stories of their ancestors having battles with these creatures. As always, I believe that legends and folklore exist for a reason, and it's because of this that I keep an open mind about everything in this strange world that we call home. Today's stories are just the tip of the iceberg when it comes to strange encounters with subterranean creatures, so rest assured that we'll come back around to this topic. What I really want to know is what you think. Have you had an experience with something in a cave, mine, or some other bizarre location? Email me and tell me about it. You can contact me at paranormalmysteriespodcast at gmail.com You can also get involved by joining our forum and by following us on all social media. If you're wondering how you can support the show, you're doing it right now just by listening, and we appreciate it. You can also support the show by subscribing and sharing it with your friends. If you're looking for other ways to support the show, you can visit patreon.com forward slash paranormal mysteries and become a patron. From all of us at Paranormal Mysteries, thank you very much for listening, and please remember, don't wait for the unknown to come to you, Get out there and find it.